Welcome, welcome, everybody. Welcome. This is Sharon Smith, and this is Iambic Poetry Podcast. And I got here, my guest is not only a poet, he is a teacher, a maker, an artist, the elder. I like to give you Elder Gideon. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you. (laughs) Welcome welcome to my show. It's great to be with you. Great to be with you. (laughs) But... But I'm glad you. I'm, I'm glad we got a chance to do this and stuff. I know we we live close by, and I, I, I was thinking like, should we do like a coffee shop thing, or should we? I, I didn't want to make sure we both were working and have time for this. But no, my first question is, what got you into poetry, or was it teach was writing before got you into poetry, or what was it that got you in? I spoke. I was always a writer. I learned at a young age when I was in high school that if I wrote what I was feeling or thinking, I learned, I came to learn what I didn't know I knew. The act of writing itself induces insight. Mm -hmm. And it was for that reason that I became very fascinated with the writing process. I didn't identify with writing, rather with uh, studio art while I was in high school went through all uh, the coursework that I needed and went on to earn a degree in studio arts at Sac State and uh, finished my degree in Florence, Italy. But all the while, I've been exposed to biblical text and texts of the Kabbalah that are so beautifully poetic. Uh, my favorite is easily a, a prose poem of many volumes called the Zohar. And I became aware, hey, Language is powerful. Uh, When I lived in Italy, I learned how much can't translate from one place to another, and that fascinated me. As I became a student of Hebrew, I've also learned that the English Bible we're reading is quite flat. And I like to say uh, to that, uh, English is to Hebrew what the movie is to a book adaptation. So, so much nuance is lost. And so what is writing and where is it going? became a, a real call and an urge for me. I jumped right into a master's program and I've been publishing and happily writing ever since. And speaking of that, so as you pointed out, the Christian Kabbalah, what I I'm, I'm no Christianity is having, having its own little branches and stuff from mm-hmm. Catholicism to baptism to, um, um, a pescetarian. I mean, there's so many other, there's so many ways. What does the Christian Kabbalah way entail? Thank you for asking. Uh, our interpretation is community uh, with Tom Malachi and uh, Tal Sarah uh, is national and is even international. We're, we're focusing on a Gnostic path, a Gnostic path that is about inwardness and encountering what is real and reality as it is directly without mediation of religion. Earliest Christianity was much more freeform, much more heterogeneous, and there is evidence that women were held in higher regard in the very earliest Christianity, specifically Mary Magdalene. So the Gnostic path is this is drawing upon source works of Kabbalah, which yes are Jewish, but we're emphasizing the Jewish foundation of Gospels. Yeshua, Jesus, was not Christian. And the fact when we call Jesus, Jesus, rather than Aramaic, Yeshua, 
everything goes sideways instantly because now we got this Greek world. Jesus is Greek. And suddenly the early church fathers take it all kinds of funny places. So we're relying on the Jewish worldview of Yeshua to understand the essence of what he was speaking. And we're not interested at all in Christian religion. I see. And tell me a little bit about um, Tal Malachi. Yeah, thank you. I met Tal Malachi some 24 years ago. Uh, I was seeking pretty desperately for some place to belong. I was coming out, and at that time and to this day, there's no place for, uh, for queer people in established religion. And I learned that the hardest ways I could. When I met Tal Malachi, I heard through him a whole other way of relating with faith and with illumination, with, with enlightening knowledge. And I have not been the same ever since. It's impacted my imagination as an artist, as a writer, and now I'm a teacher, all because of this inwardness that I have been taught by Tom Malachi. I see. That's, that's, very, that's very powerful right there. Yeah. So being a teacher and stuff, <clears throat> teachers always have this, these simple rules they want to, they want to bring to their students. Uh, one of the questions I gave you was, when when your children when your students leave your class or as they advance on, what do you want to leave in their mind for them to to expand on as they go forward? That they belong, that they are powerful, that they are seeing the world often ways very precisely before the conditioning of the adult world, adult education and corporate structures take away from them what they're already seeing and feeling. Uh, young people, my students, are not nearly as jaded as many adults. And so I'm very interested in their perspective of what's happening, what they're feeling, and to take you seriously because they signal what is coming. What they're interested in, what they're identifying with signals to the world, whatever culture, what is coming. And I wish we would listen to students as young people. I know that sounds silly to call them people, but people who are young are very powerful and they have a voice. I want them to understand that their voice will not ever be repeated ever again in this entire cosmic cycle. They are the only one with that particular voice who will see and speak of everything in their particular way and that it is entirely precious and that the time is limited. So please find your voice, believe in your voice because you belong, because you're powerful and you are signaling what is to come. Hmm. My question, I have a question. Since you came back from Italy and back in Sacramento, has the cre your creativity evolved or has it where, where's your barometer on your creativity gone as you as you enter back in sacramento or even basically california itself yeah thank you italy changed me <laughs> uh, i became completely aware in the spaces that i'd only seen in books you know little tiny you know three by three images in books there was no internet yet. Internet was just evolving for the public when I was in Italy. 
But when I, I, I learned that I can't say that I've seen anything until I've been in front of it and felt what it is in the space and its size and proportion of my body. And so much cannot be reproduced. It can be photographed for sure, but I cannot ever, ever let a photograph speak for the presence uh, of an object again. So that humbled me. And my encounter with medieval art, Romanesque in particular, like that work between the 11th and 13th century really shifted me. I became aware of something so much more dreamlike and beautiful that was less interested in realism and more interested in narrative and story at kind of a mythological level. And so I bring all of that back to the United States in an identity crisis uh, because my training in postmodern art techniques really don't allow for that kind of dialogue. Um, faith and, and ex direct experience and degrees of gnosis is just not welcome. It's taboo for all kinds of reasons, which I understand. But I had to decide for myself, you know, what is this about? What, what am I going to devote my imagination to? And I decided I knew inside myself through lots of meditation that I had to commit to what I'd like to look at in my own life review. I want to make work that'll be there in my own imagination when I leave the body. And that's what I want to spend time with. And in so doing, I know it will uplift others. So I'm seeking solace through my imagination because we need solace now. We need, we need hope that is not to be confused with sentimentality. We need something going forward as everything seems to get worse. That is beyond everything getting worse. Hmm. So, looking at your last your um your last event you had over at um uh Sacramento Poetry Center, you had not only did you have the art, but you also had the sound. You had the, the I actually had through your sound system and had the actual sound playing behind the background of it mm -hmm. and then you also had some you know you had some things that had um some poem or scripture type stuff on but you kind of embroidered the whole the word the design and the sound as almost like you're giving it you not saying you are but you are giving the experience to what you bring to the mm -hmm. table is did that experience come over time or was it something that you thought i'm not just going to just give you the pit, the the picture or the 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 sculpture of it. I want you to come in and understand what's going into my mind, or and what mm. or like that. What is that experience like? That's beautiful. Yeah, I I'm entirely indebted to Sean Wall, whom everybody needs to know and follow. Uh, he's a brilliant composer. His versatility is staggering, and I've worked with him many years, commissioning original work of music from him. So I had to have his contribution to this show, which was just for the ears and for the eyes, uh, because the power of installation is that it's uh, multivalent and it's atmospheric and it's physical in many ways, more physical. And I wanted the work to have several iterations. The sculpture stand on their own, Sean's musical score and the video stands on its own. And there's a book of this work that stands on its own as well. So how can uh, a spark, an idea, or a vision play out sonically and visually and literarily? And that, that is effective and it's a challenge and I enjoy how it 
opens up to different people according to their own angle entering. And I felt great success with Equal Arms. I'm very grateful for the Fact Poetry Center and for you, Sharon. I ask a question of you. How did you feel about the score? Did you get to hear it? Yes, I did. How did very, it feel? I, I actually, it felt it felt very ominous. Very, you know, it's almost like something you can use for yoga. Something you can actually just just feel the vibe instead of instead of you trying to instead of you trying to relate to other things you just mostly is it's mostly a kind of a ominous of relaxation and meditation where you can actually listen to the sound mm-hmm. and then just go with the frequency and let your mind just travel for a bit or yeah. even when you're walking through you can basically feel the 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 patterns of everything that you walk by like okay this is a frequency base it's a frequency vibe it's not a it's yeah. not a it's not a person like you know it's like oh I'm, I'm, there's some vocals here and <laughs> it's not like how music is where it's a pleasant to the it's always a weird either pleasant or displeasant to the ear it's this is more of a um meditation that's what mm-hmm, i felt mm-hmm. more for so it's like yeah well my website shows the video yeah. uh, that sean wall scored eldergideon.com slash maker y'all can check out sean's music it's extraordinary so, so did you did, were you, you just basically you and Sean were just collaborating, or would you? Correct. I know, okay, we've done many projects together, and I think okay. the world of him. Okay, so I see that you have two books mm-hmm. that you. So one is um, what, what are the name of both your books? Ages of Waves mm-hmm. is my first collection. It's all about youth, my experience as an educator. This is my MFA thesis. And I'm very proud to be published by Atmosphere Press. Okay. Uh, it explores the growing crisis of coming of age. And the coming of age now is more pressured and more consequential than it's ever been. And I have, a, I have an inquiry into why coming of age is so painful now. And that's what the book is exploring through uh, anthropological and sociological sources that speak about adolescence globally pre-colonial, post-colonial, to just understand, undermine adult assumptions of growing up now in this time. That's the first book. The second collection, also from Atmosphere, is called Gnostic Triptych. It's three verse essays that are memoir and expansion of themes of family, coming to faith and coming out, and coming to Gnosis in the second and the final, which I hope to premiere this fall with Ifama Dupwe Eddington. Oh, okay. We're going to produce a live recitation of the third section where I, I describe coming to purpose. The whole thing's an interrogation of religion mm. and why it's dead and what stands ahead, which for me is inwardness. We must go inward. If religion has disappointed or betrayed us, we're right. It is disappointing and it does betray. What is left is the inwardness, the awareness itself that is present all of the time. And nearness, intimacy, oneness with this awareness changes everything. I like that. I like that. I was gonna I was gonna point out about when you were talking about the ages from the youth. 
so always so as you pointed out, I always get this thing where um parent um adults who experience corporal punishment when they were young and stuff and kind of are survivors of it, mm-hmm. they always come out with the idea of I I got it, I got spankings or I got slapped and stuff, and I came out fine. And I've always questioned that thought of how do you mean you came out fine because you survived a, a assault or attack, whereas you now want to do it on your or you want it's going to be done on your children or on people you know, but yet you want to you don't want to destroy you don't want to destroy it or deter you know deter them from doing that. You want to just basically remind them that I went through the same thing. You'll be fine. And I've always got that. I always mm-hmm. thought that was a weariness of not seeing the basis of. Why are you trying to? Why are you trying to put a same the same abuse that you you collected from your parents and keep on going mm-hmm. with the same thing? Um, black people, um, African Americans call this uh, slave mentality, where they basically use mm-hmm. the the same tactics that they were throwing onto them and trying to assimilate to keep order in their home. But mm-hmm. I was wanted to say to you is that that when you talk about chaos in the age of youth and stuff, is is one of the particulars of things that you bring into the order from adults in your book? Well, for sure. What young people are signaling now <laughs> is trauma upon trauma. And I don't know any way out of such trauma without inwardness mm-hmm. and without profound honesty and kids need help. And what really helps kids more than anything is just listening to them with intention, actively listening. I circle up my kids every day. We talk a lot. We laugh a lot. Sometimes it's appropriate. And we have a good time because to show a young person that they belong and to see and reflect their goodness cannot be done with punishment, cannot be done with shame and blame. The only way that goodness that's in every kid can be drawn out is with an understanding that is safe and is consistent. So I hear you. Many families feel like they turned out fine. I'm going to question their definition of fine. Because what we're calling normal as adults might be dysfunctional. And perhaps COVID has exposed how unfine we've already been before. Sure. I believe that wholeheartedly. <laughs> but as, so, so being that you live in Nevada County and stuff, have you basically um, approached some of the artists and poets and performers here? Or you just mostly kind of stick with the... Uh, everyone else outside. I have not yet formally reached out. I have involved uh, uh, Kirsten, uh, the Nevada County Poet Laureate. She'll be mm-hmm. speaking to us uh, and reading soon in this next nice. uh, next month at Sacramento Poetry Center. The only artist I'm really close to in Nevada County is Michael and Heather Llewellyn. Okay. Uh, they are fabulous photographers and their work is just astonishing. All their activism with uh, fire, forest fire and how we need to re- we need to redress all of this, or we're literally going to just lose and continue losing here in the foothills as summer lasts longer and longer. So, Michael and Heather Llewellyn, I would consider my peeps. Uh, I identify more with Sacramento creatively. I need the diversity of Sacramento. I need the layers of Sacramento. I find Nevada County generally uh, too insulated and too entitled. It. it- it is a place to grow on. <laughs> I'm still trying to adjust it still myself, and I've been here for three years. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's still, 
I mean, I go back to Sacramento, but I, I have to understand that the fact that I don't live there and some of my peers remind me that something's going on here. You, are you able to come? No, I can't. I'm in Nevada <laughs> County. You're well, we're going to be doing what we're doing. It's like, okay. So mm-hmm. that's just one of those things where I have to either figure out how to like the people I am here in Nevada County or get more involved with them or be a recluse, you know, be a hermit yeah. for the rest of the time. <laughs> but it's since thing. jumping, since jumping into Sacramento, just this last year with Verge Galleries, Justina Martino, uh, Tonic, everything's exploded for me. Mm-hmm. I already knew that if I just dip my toe on the Sacramento, it would get hot real fast. And I'm very blessed. We're going to have a show with Justina Martino this fall of new work on uh, Black Mirrors and I'm working with Ifemo Dupwe Eddington for the launch of my book this fall. So Sacramento has so much more going on and it's so much more realistic. Wow. Uh, I said, uh, congratulations. I saw that you're in the Crocker Museum newsletter and stuff. And yeah. doing some stuff with Crocker Museum. Thank you. Most definitely. So I'm going to come up with my biggest, que- my biggest um, question I always ask all my poets, performers, and also visual artists. Being that the, commu- the poetry community is divided into two sections. There's the, po- the poets who write in pages, literature, um, books and stuff, and they call themselves page, or I call them page poets because they're always in the page or in the books. And the stage is filled with performers, um, poets that are speaking spoken word, or even speeches, and also a musical plays type things, which I call them stage. And there's always been a thing where the page poet and the stage poet never really mesh, but they're all, they still do the same thing. So I'm asking you, Elder Gideon, mm-hmm. are you comfortable with the page, the stage, or both? First, I want to acknowledge all of the stage poets. What they do is so much harder than it looks. And when I saw Prentice Powell for the first time a few years ago at Ebony Cafe, uh, I couldn't talk. I had I was without words by the power of his recitation and how he merged speaking about himself and about events with the, the, the astonishing poetry that was coming out of him. So that we back and forth said to me, and you yourself, Sharon, said to me the very first day that I met you at the door of the Poetry Center some three years ago now. Stage poets have their words because it's memorized. And if I'm a poet and I don't take that time to memorize my own poems and perform them for the ears of the audience, what kind of poet is that actually? If we consider the legacy of poetic form through the the millennia, poetry was heard. It was not read. All poetry, the Psalms, the Odyssey, anything in the in these cultures before writing was so heavily emphasized, we heard poems and we heard them as songs. So I'm gonna privilege always the stage poets to which I'm aspiring this fall. Ifamo Dupwe is saying, nope, you're gonna do these words. I'm gonna hire an actor. She says, nope, you're gonna do these words because they're yours. I said, okay, I'm a little afraid. She says, I got you. So I am a page poet aspiring 
to be anything like a stage poet. And I'm intimidated and I welcome the challenge. I wish you well, sir. I wish you well. <laughs> You'll be fine. It, it, it's a it's a thing you have to you is a it is a muscle you have to keep working on. And like everything else, uh, I always I do concern myself when I do see a lot of particular page poets or particular people who are authors with so many books and stuff that really don't know one or two of their own stuff in their own books. They have to go back and find it. And I always yep. thought that time itself is just, it's almost a, it's almost a, it's almost time consuming for them to even try to set the stage of what they're going to do to a bunch of people. If no one, if they can't just basically throw one out and just to get their minds like, Oh, okay. Get the people inspired and then go into the book to find something that's, Another thing interesting, if you just if you're just writing the stuff just to write the stuff and then you just put it out, where does it where does it where does it hit you? I know some people say that you know they tell their little monologues and stuff, but where does it hit you if if you wrote something about your dad's um, funeral? Okay, you remember that, but you wrote it in a book. Now you don't remember it no more. Is this mm. just something when you open back up to relive like a like a photo like a photo album, or do you have mm. a speech for it? If you did the mm-hmm. eulogy there, would that be a little better? Would it be a little more, um, a little more inward than you just writing like a photo, like taking pictures of a photo album? That's what I was looking at. Yes, yes, I appreciate that, Sharon. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's the so it's the difference of the feeling of how one side feels to the other. So I, I commend people well, who write the poems in the in the books, but I also do say I always do try to get people to say, well. Keep reading, reading that same poem and see how you feel when it, you keep hearing it in your head and keep hearing it hit. Just like when you do a little toast in front of somebody, you're, you're going to have the same. It's going to be a different feeling than you just in there and That's just right. reading it about their um, their ceremony or watching pictures. Oh, it's nice. Right. <laughs> well, you impressed me right away in that first meeting when you said, yeah, so often the poets here are reading from behind a lectern like it's a lecture. Mm. And there's a lot about that dynamic that I can't stand. So my intention with this book launch of Gnostic Triptych is to have nothing in front of me at all. And I'm gonna do it from my body to the ears of the bodies of the audience because it's much more physical to hear the poetry. And so much more nuance comes out than the printed word can ever emit. Oh. So I know triptych is basically the folded uh, picture of yes. folded and stuff. So mm-hmm. how so how is that blend of words? And is there is there any pictures in this um or um, illustrations in this book or no? There will be little n- pictures in the notes okay. uh, referencing the scenes that I narrate when I'm in Italy having a, a faith crisis and a total <laughs> meltdown. Uh, so no, but the triptych is a visual. A construct from medieval times of a central image that opens and closes and on the, the doors left, like, left and right they also hold images so it's a it's just got thousands of possibilities and all the poems in that collection were written in thirds okay. in the middle section nice and i like i like threes a whole lot okay so there's um I'm, i know there's try um trilet um they do threes uh, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a few, there's like th- three or four poem, um, poem forms 
that do a, 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 a way of threes. So mm-hmm. I, I can see that. I can see that mm-hmm. very well. Yeah, the the, 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 the turf set, yeah. Yeah, turf set, yeah. yeah. There's, there's, there's definitely a uh, something about the three that's always been kind of funny to me, even with even with um, music with the thirds and stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's always a funny thing. But, no. So, Elder, do you have any information would you like to put out? Because this will be coming out on the 28th. Would Perfect. you have any events that you want to put out? Uh, events right now are kind of quiet. I'm building. Uh, in the fall, if y'all want to jump in, my Instagram is elder.gideon. Just meet me there, and I'll keep you up to date with more of the new images, the black mirrors. I'll be dropping a lot of videos from Gnostic Triptych as well, and there'll be some highlights of my work this summer with Kenyan Reviews, writing workshop. I get to meet Carl Phillips. <laughs> nice. Yay. And, uh, yeah, this fall, it's going to be popping. I'll be at Verge Gallery. I'll be in another gallery with Art Tonic and uh, the launch with Ina Dupway in the fall. So just track with that and see what happens. And also go check out his website, eldergillian.com. There is stuff there. You can learn more about him. And even you can put it in the contact if you would like him to contact you or contact him about some of the stuff you were thinking about. And get his books. Both books are on the on Amazon. Yeah, and Goodreads and everything, yes. Yes, and also get onto his SoundCloud. He has a SoundCloud. Go figure, people. Mm -hmm. He does have a SoundCloud. There is music there. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. go check out some of his art and his views. And and all things else, if you don't see him in anything else, come down to Sacramento Poetry and meet him with Mm -hmm. all the rest of the board members as we try to create a new Sacramento Poetry community. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) but no problem hey thanks elder (laughs) thank you so much sir all right sir and for everyone else check back and we'll talk to y'all soon see ya thank you (laughs) sharon no problem